Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Hey, I want to welcome you in this room, whether you're here or you're online watching, connecting with us. We're so glad you're a part of this experience, and we're starting a new series, as Pastor John had already alluded to, called Making Change. Uh, We're looking at making change in our lives when it comes to being stewards of our property, stewards of our stuff. Now, every person, especially if you've grown up in church, if you've been doing the church thing for for years now, it'd be very easy for you, uh, very tempting, I'm sure, to go, oh, okay, a stewardship stewardship, uh, talk. And you've had many of these in your past, and you just go into autopilot where you're like, yeah, 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 I know pastors, pastors talking about, uh, obviously, the budget's low, and so we need to put the, put the guilt screws on and tighten people down to have them give a little bit more. So this talk isn't for me. Uh, you could go down that path. That would be an untrue way. That would be an unwise path to go down, because when we do stewardship talks, it's not about trying to up the increase of what, uh, what the church is, is bringing in as far as tithes and offerings. Matter of fact, truth be told, we're in a great spot. We're in a strong position at this time of the year for our budget. So there's no pressure. There's not going to be any sense of guilt here. What, when we do a talk on stewardship, the reason being is because we believe that how you handle your stuff shows more about your maturity. It shows more about where you are at, what your position is for how you view God, how you view the the things of God in your life. Uh, How you handle your stuff is one of the best demarcations of your growth, of your spiritual maturity, of, uh, of how you're doing life with God. And so I would encourage you not to go into autopilot, but to really dig in the next four weeks as we are talking on this series about how do we handle our stuff because because this series has the potential to change you, in all honesty. It has the potential to change your kids as they see difference in your life. It has the ability to impact and to change your grandkids, and even impact the world around you. So I would just invite you to come the next four weeks. Be a part of this series. Engage with it. Wrestle with it. Maybe some of the principles you hear, some of the things you hear, you don't necessarily agree with. That's okay. That's okay. But wrestle with those things. And if you walk away saying, Tony, Pastor Tony, I disagree with you over this principle, fine. But then the question is, why? Why do you disagree about something maybe I share? Uh, wrestle with those things. Don't just detach yourself. Don't just choose to come and so you can check your box off that you attended church. You get extra holy points because you're coming during prime peak vacation time, right? Uh, don't, don't just sit idly by, but come planning to be engaging. Today, what we're talking about, we're going to be dealing with a different principle about how we deal with our stuff, how we handle our things uh, each week. And today, the, the concept, the principle that we're, we're going to spend most of our time talking about today is that uh, less is more. Less is more. That's the principle that, uh, that helps govern my thinking when I 
come to stewarding the stuff that God has put in my hands. Less is more is very counterculture. Let's face it. Uh, because the world today tells us that more is more, right? Not less is more, more is more. And more is better, right? We get that message on a regular basis. More is more and more is better. And more is what you want. That's, that's what we hear on a regular basis, is it not? That's what we get from the media. That's what we get from advertising. That's what we get from, from, uh, from movies. That's what we read about. That's, that's how we're raised to be. Uh, less is not more. More is more. More is better and more is what you want. Let me tell you, intuitively, we know that is not always correct, right? I mean, I can remember one of my early overnight stays. I was in sixth grade and uh, Brad and Brad was turning. He was the first one to turn 13 in our little pack of urchins and, uh, and he was having an overnight party. And so my mom, I don't know what my mom and dad were thinking, you know, the idea of 12, uh, 12 and 13-year-olds uh, couldn't get in trouble. But, but for whatever reason, my parents, who were normally very protective people, they signed off on this overnight party. Yeah, they, they thought that the people we were staying with were responsible and would take care of us and would make sure we didn't get into too much trouble, but they didn't realize that that family went to bed early. And mom and dad would be in bed by 8.30 that night for us to run wild the rest of the evening, you know? Um, one of the things that we did was we were going to see a movie. We were going to see a movie. I don't know, this might speak, this not just might, it does speak volumes about your pastor and my background. I'll tell you what the movie was. It was a movie called Spies Like Us. So some of you uh, of people of a certain age know exactly what that movie is. Other people have no clue. And I'd say if you have no clue, don't bother, don't bother, okay? But we were going to see Spies Like Us. And my mom knew that we were going to a movie, so she pulls out. She does something that she normally would never do, and that was open up her purse and get her wallet out and pull a $20 bill out for me. That was going to cover the movie, which back in those days I think was like $4 or $3, something like that. But it was also going to cover food that night, and it was going to a world of entertainment, right? Well, Un, unknowns to my mom, unbeknownst to my mother, unbeknownst to me, that part of the party was the cost of the ticket and the food and all the fun that we were going to have. All of those things were covered by Brad's mom and dad. And so, so I didn't have to pay for those things. Now, you know, I'm sure most of you would have been very quick to set, put that $20 and tuck it into your pants pocket and know that when you got home the next day, you'd give that to your mom, but, but not me, not me. And I saw this as an opportunity. Like, what can I do with the $20? What can I do with that? Well, we, we went and, and ate at the, at the mall uh, bef by, beside where the movie theater was. The mall uh, was South County Mall in, uh, in South County, just south of, Spring, or south of St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, at South County Mall, you know, they had one of those, store, one of those stores called, you know, Mr. Bulky's. You remember Mr. Bulky's? Yeah, yeah. And I go into Mr. Bulky's and, you know, I, I, had a, I had a love affair at that time with a thing called Raisinets, right? And now, first of all, understand that Mr. Bulky's did not sell Raisinets. They sold a knockoff version of it. I think it was like Raisinots or something like that, okay? Well, I had the principle that, that one of my friends, they whispered in my ear, they said, look, you know, let's not buy, let's not buy the expensive movie candy. 
but let's go to Mr. Bulky's and get loaded up on all the candy we want. We'll, it'll be a fifth of the cost. So I just learned that principle there, and I go and I see the big giant bend of Raisin Knots, and, and I, I had the idea of, hey, less is not more. More is more, right? And so I loaded up. I bought two pounds of Raisin Knots, right? And I don't know how in the world I got it through the theater, but I did. I did. It was cold. I think I had a big bulky coat, and I had a lot of pockets. And, and so I, I took two pounds of Raisin Knots into seeing spies like us. And let me tell you, before, uh, before Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd uh, graduated spy school, I can tell you I polished off all two pounds of Raisin Knots by myself. And I can tell you, without getting too graphic, I paid the price for the next 72 hours of life, of eating two pounds of chocolate and raisin and vegetable oil, right? It was a terrible, terrible experience. And in that moment, when I, the, I, I just tell you, the outcome was not a very pretty situation. I learned then, more is not always very good, right? And mo oftentimes, more is more is not a good scenario for us. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, we believe his name was King Solomon, he responds to this, also this concept. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and, and I should say this, in honor of less is more today, we're just going to look at one verse, one verse of Scripture. We're not gonna, I'm not going to overwhelm you with hundreds of verses or even scores of verses, but just one verse today in which the writer Solomon says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Better one handful, better one handful to have in your life, knowing that with that handful, there's tranquility, there's peace, there, there, is, there is a measure of kindness and love even, you could say there. Better to have one handful of stuff and know you are living a tranquil life, Solomon says, than two handfuls, two handfuls of stuff, but you are in the middle of, of toil you're, you're struggling for it, and you're chasing after the wind, meaning futility, right? You're just constantly trying to get it. Uh, the image here would be, think about holding grain, right? Trying to put as much grain in your hand, and you just see it slipping out, and you keep on trying to grab as much grain as you can, only to see it keep on falling out of your hands. With this passage of Scripture in mind. We did a survey. We put it out on our app and we put it on Facebook this past week in which I asked you uh, if you knew that the end of your life was near, what would you consider to be important? What would you be considered to be important? And I got a huge response back. Thank you for giving me your insights as you were typing your response on your, on your uh, app. Uh, and, and you know what I saw overall? I mean, not everyone was in lockstep. Not everyone gave the exact same accounts but I can say this, that overall, most people said, hey, if I knew that my life was coming to an end, what would be most important? What would I be thinking about? What would I be paying attention to? Most of you said, or I should say all of you said, faith or God, your relationship with God, family, uh, some broke it down between uh, husband and wife or children or extended family. Uh, most of you said friends, relationships with friends. Uh, memories, making memories with your family, legacy, what kind of legacy were you leaving behind? Those were the answers people were saying. You know, Pastor Dave, what no one said, no one mentioned a leather couch, 
No one said, my leather couch that I just been saving up for, that's most important. No one wrote my, the new curtains that I just got put in my home. The, the new expressions on our window. Those are the things that are most important. Nobody mentioned a bank account of ma- uh, maintaining, maintaining a banking account at a certain level or, or reaching a certain level. No one said that a brand new sports car that they've been saving up for uh, were the things that would be important. None of us mentioned that. None of us mentioned that. So intuitively, all of us are on the same page and that we all get the idea that, yeah, yeah, you know what? I don't need a lot of stuff to make life happy. And, and when it comes down to it, when the end of life occurs, we all know that it's not going to be having a preponderance of stuff in our life that's going to be uh, the gauge of if our life was successful, if we uh, lived a blessed life. But it's going to be those deep relationships with family. It's going to be those deep relationships with our, with our spouse. It's going to be the connection we have with the living God. It's going to be how we lived our life in this world. Those are the things that are going to be uh, held near and dear to us. But the reality is, even though we all intuitively know that, very few of us live that way from day to day, correct? Very few of us will have that, that nugget of truth that, that, that we don't have to debate about. We put it in the back of our cerebral cortex, very deep, very deep, right? And, and, and we just live in a different way. Why is that? Why don't we live with this truth in front of our mind? But I believe it's because the enemy in this world system has a way of teaching us two lies that, that we live our life on despite the fact that we know what the truth is. Lie number one is whatever I don't have is what I need, right? If I don't have it, I need it. If, if uh, I, don't, I don't have a, a brand new sports car, by golly, I need it. If I don't have a, a, a five-bedroom house with four bathrooms in it, I need it. I need these things. That's one lie. Lie number one, whatever I don't have is what I need. And lie number two is what you have, I deserve, right? So if my friend has something that's really awesome, that's really great, that's something that I can, should be able to celebrate that they have that in their life, well, by golly, I need that too. I mean, you know, let's face it. The pool industry in the 80s uh, can, thank, can thank moms and dads uh, for the success of the pool industry because what happened? One family in the neighborhood got an outdoor pool, and guess what? Every other family had to have a pool, right? Why? Because if the Joneses have it, I should have it. I mean, the pool family in the 80s, when most of us grew up in that era, era now I think it's like the RV. The, you know, the RVs, everyone has to have an RV. Why? Because the person across the street has an RV, and the person next door has an RV, and, and you know, my mom and dad have an RV, and, and uh, my family's all, they have RVs, so let's all have an RV. You know, I argue the RV today is what the pool was in the 80s, right? But I would argue that even though those are the two lies that we live, I just... Would, would encourage you to remember, less is more, because less allows you to live more. Less allows you to love more. Less allows you to leave more. And you say, Tony, what are you talking about? What, how can you make those statements? I argue this, less allows you to live more, because when you have a lot of stuff, the reality is this, if you're going to actually take care of your stuff, you have to do what? You have to spend time with that stuff, don't you? You have to spend time managing and caring for that stuff. You have to spend energy making sure that no one takes that stuff, right? 
You have to make sure that all that stuff is in good repair. And that takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. Time away from family, time away from friends, time away from making memories that are so important. Uh, I remember there's uh, friends, dear friends of ours that attended North, Northbridge years and years ago. And they had just received and gotten a, uh, uh, some property on the lake. Hear me clearly, okay? If you're sitting there thinking that my job or what I'm trying to do is make people look bad for having stuff, no, 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 no. What I'm trying to do is just maybe bring a mirror and a light to the subject of possessions here. And I'm just saying, hey, let's all like be circumspect here. This family, they got this, this property perfectly fine. That was an amoral thing. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good they owned this property. It wasn't bad that they owned this property. But what I took note of was this property was a considerable amount of land. And so this property was meant to be a place where their family could go and have peace and have R&R and have just these happy memories on the lake. But because it was a considerable piece of property, you know, this family, they found themselves every week during mowing season. They were there mowing for eight, nine hours a day. They found themselves during the wintertime when it started getting cold, they were having to go to the lake because they were terrified that the pipes were going to break, that they were going to freeze, and they would have these huge bills. And so then they had to start saying no to family things and no to family functions of, of going other places, of going to Florida, because we got to stay back and make sure our, our lake house is not freezing. Well, I argue, how free were those people? How much time did they have when they all of a sudden had to spend and dump all of this time into, into caring for this additional property? And so because of that, I can say that less allows you to live more because when I'm, not, when I'm freed up from having to care from so many things, I can live more. Less allows me to love more because you know what I've learned? Like it or not, the stuff you have in your hands is in direct competition to the relationships you have in your heart. You know that? You don't mean for it to be that case, and I, I get that, but I'm telling you, your stuff, it is, it is hell-bent. Your stuff is just bent on trying to make sure you love it and you think about it more than you think about the people in your life and the relationships in your life. I can tell you this also when I say that, uh, you know, that that less allows us to live more and less allows us to love more. I also say this, less allows you to leave more. I'm not going to ask this question because in 30 seconds, or I'm not going to, I'm going to ask this question. I'm not going to ask you to reveal your answer because 30 seconds afterwards, someone's going to feel bad. Okay. And I don't want to do that to you. Okay. Uh, have you ever, have you ever said this phrase to someone, especially those of you who are a certain age, You've talked to friends, you talk to family, and you say something like this. You go, I'm going to spend every penny of my money that I possibly can because I'm not leaving anything for my kids. Now, don't look around and be like, yeah, it's me, because in a second, I'm going to go, shame on you, shame on you. I'll, I'll say this. I'll, I'll say this up front. I've said those words in the past. I've said that, and, and I've said, you know, Dana, we're going to spend every penny before, you know, we're gone. Dax can earn his own money. Let me tell you. Uh, I'm putting that forward. That's a terrible, terrible attitude. Terrible. If you 
say that, if you believe that, you should be just as ashamed as I have been, okay? You should feel guilt over that because that shows a deep selfishness in your life saying, I'm number one. Even the people that I think are supposed to be most important, which are my children, even they are not as important as me being able to live out my felt needs in my life. It's selfish. And here's what I'm just going to say, not to try to prove that statement to be selfish, but here's what I've experienced. Selfish people have a history of broken relationships. Selfish people have a history of hurt and pain in their lives. And I just share this anecdotally. I have dear friends, dear friends that are in their 60s and 70s who they choose. They, they have said they've been very outspoken about we're not leaving a penny for our kids or our grandkids. And let me tell you, just observing those friends that have had that, those attitudes, guess what? When their funeral comes, I really doubt their kids and their grandkids are going to be coming to their funeral. And that's a sad, sad tragedy. Why? Because people who are selfish tend to leave a string of broken relationships behind them. They tend to be involved in pain and hurt much of it their own making. And, and like I said, I made that statement in the past, and the Lord convicted me of it. And I can tell you my attitude now is that I want to leave, whenever I leave planet Earth, I want to leave my wife, I want to leave my kid, I want to leave my community, I want to leave my church with a great and rich legacy. And yes, does that involve stuff? I hope so. I hope there's some, some stuff I can leave behind to bless others uh, as I am gone. I hope there's some deep memories. I hope there's some deep teachings. I hope there's a whole plethora of people that can say, I'm better off for having known that guy and for the investment he made in my life than, than I would be if they, he wasn't around. I hope that instead of me saying, I'm going to try to consume everything I can in this world, that I say instead, I want to leave a legacy. So, so, how do we live like less is more, right? Uh, how do I live in this? Well, first of all, I would say this to you. Learn to cut back. Let's begin. How do we live with less is more? Let us all take a policy, have a, have a mindset where we start learning to cut back. We start asking the question on a regular basis, do I really need blank? Do I really need this in my life? Because, see, I want less stuff, and I want more time with my family. I want less stuff, and I want more memories with my friends. I want less stuff, and I want a greater impact in this world. So let's begin just the principle of saying I don't have to have everything that everyone else has. I don't have to have what the Joneses have. I don't have to open up 417 Magazine and I see the top 10 destination spots in the world and go, oh man, I got to check those off. I don't open up whatever magazine and see the latest fashion and say, I got to spend 25 or 30 percent more uh, uh, than, than what I would normally so that I can have this brand or can have this name on my, on my hip or on my rear or on my foot. So let's start cutting back. A second thing that I would challenge you to do and that I would say for us, what I'm, the Turners are practicing this, uh, this summer, is to start clearing out. Start clearing out. We cut back, 
and we clear out. Because, you know, Jesus himself taught us what life is not about an abundance of stuff, right? Jesus said that. Jesus said, you want to have real life? It's not about having a ton of stuff in your life. Uh, he made that clear. You remember? Because the principle that we just talked about, one handful, right? One handful. So in order to have one handful in tranquility, maybe some of us need to start clearing out some junk in our lives and some stuff that we thought at one time we couldn't live without. How do we clear out? Because I will acknowledge this. It's hard. This is hard to do this when you're used to being a pack rat, right? When you're a hoarder, and, and for the record, most of us are hoarders and we don't realize it. You know, mo, you, know you never see a hoarder saying, yep, I'm a hoarder. They, they ha- have to have an intervention, don't they? And for the record, I recognize this too. The idea of hoarding comes from a good, sincere place because many of us grew up in a time of scarcity, you know, whether old, my grandparents grew up during the Depression, and so the idea was you don't throw anything away because you might need it. I grew up in the 70s, and so I have memories, you know, as a kid, I have memories of this crazy inflation and, and crazy high energy prices and, and just all this tumult in society. Man, I'm glad we're gone from that. I'm glad we don't have that anymore, right, and have to deal with that stuff in life. Uh, so I remember uh, what, you know, my parents taught me, hey, save what you, you know, if you have it, save it because you might need it. So out of that, then we start hoarding. We start saying, well, this little piece of paper or this picture, this picture frame. Well, I, you never know what I need this picture frame. I'm going to put it in a, I'm going to put it away. I'm going to put it in a closet. And guess what? 25 years comes and goes. And there's that picture frame still sitting there. So how do we start clearing out? How do we live with one handful of tranquility? Well, the, the first concept I would say is to start in your closet right? Just start with baby steps. Open up your closet and look through your hoard of clothes. You know, isn't it interesting? In 1910, there are homes in Springfield, Missouri that were built in 1910. They were two bedroom, one bath, and guess how many closets were in their homes? You'd think two, right? For two two or, or three, you know, because you'd have one in each bedroom and you'd have a hall closet for your linens. Guess what? In, in the houses I've looked at in Springfield that were 1910, built in the 1910s, 1920s, one closet, one closet for a family to share, right? For mom and dad. And might I add, these closets aren't the walk-in things that you're used to walking in, right? These closets are often more narrow than me. And mom and dad and kid were expected to put all of their clothes in there. Why? Because In 1910, people didn't have a lot of stuff that they had to store. So you go into your giant closet, right, or your closets of closets, and just ask the question, what have I not worn in a year? Get rid of it. If you haven't worn uh, that favorite shirt of yours in over a year, get rid of it. Give it away. Give it to other people. Give it to an organization that will either dispose of it and you know, turn it into mulch or will, or will give it to the poor or resell it to someone else who will wear it, right? But get rid of it. Don't say, oh, but that's my favorite shirt. And you know what? Even though I haven't worn it in, in three years, I will wear it again. No, you won't. No, you won't. What you'll do is you'll find some shirt that will remind you of that shirt that's brand new and you'll buy it. That's what you'll do. So get rid of those things that you haven't worn for over a year. Start in your closet. How about this? How about for the remainder of 2021? If, if uh, starting in closet is too hard for you, then just this. What if in the remainder of 2021, you write a sign on a card, on a flash card, and you put it somewhere where you see it on a regular basis, and this is what the card says. Get one, give one. 
And what that is a reminder of is from now on, the rest of this year, if you get something, you give something. You get a new pair of shoes, give a pair of shoes away. You get a brand new shirt, then go into your closet and get a shirt to give to someone else. You get a, a brand new pair of jeans, then you give a pair of jeans away. Get one, give one. And at least with that, it's a mindset that I'm not going to acquire more and more and more, but at least I'm going to stay even, right? For those of you who find yourself going, wow, okay, this, those are too easy, Tony. Then here's my challenge. Here's my challenge for the superstars here. How about in the next month, you make a plan to give away 100 things in your house? Look around your home. Look around your, your, your uh, garage, your backyard, your shed. Look up in your attic, and you figure out 100 things to give away in this month. Uh, you know, could you do that? Would you do that? Uh, to the hoarders, and, and here's the principle. I read this in a book a couple of weeks ago about, it was this lady who wrote this book on how to simplify life, and I'll just say the author, she was, I think, certifiable. I think she was nuts. I think she was crazy, but she had some good ideas, and she talked about, she talked about uh, if you have this emotional connection to your stuff that you can't give it away because it's like giving away your children, then try this. Try this. Take that thing and put it in your hands and thank it. Thank it as you're giving it away. Okay. Now, again, this lady was certifiable, but this sounds like a good idea to me. You know, that, that spaghetti maker that's sitting in the cabinet that you got uh, as a wedding gift, you know, in the case of the Turner 16 years ago, that you used one time and you've never used it again, but you can't get rid of it because it was your best friend bought that for you. Pull the spaghetti maker out, look it in the eye. You pretend where the eyes are. And you say, you say, spaghetti maker, thank you so much. The fact that John bought that for me and it meant so much to me and it showed me his love and affection and how he was, he was loyal to me when, at one of the most important times of my life, you served your purpose. Thank you. And you've been faithful for 16 years to sit in my closet. Thank you for your faithfulness. But you know what? I'm releasing you now. I'm releasing you to go and serve another family with just as much loyalty, just as much pride, just as much pep in your step as you had with me. And you put it in a box. You'll be surprised. Thinking something helps you kind of make the, initial, the cut, right? If you got to do that to get rid of some stuff, by all means, thank away. Thank away, okay? Today, as we talk about less is more, as we talk about learning to cut, as we're talking about the fact that, that it's okay to, to learn to clear out and to make the habit of cutting, to learn the, the habit of clearing out, understand what I'm saying here. If you're hearing me say that because you have something, you should be guilty, or you should feel guilty, you should feel bad. Oh, if, if that's how you're feeling as you're walking out, I have not done my job. Okay, because I'm not trying to say that having stuff is wrong. I'm not saying that at all. I'm going back to this text that we have. Better one hand, better one hand with tranquility, right? I'm not saying that it's wrong and that you can't have anything. I'm just saying that maybe for some of us, what we could do and what we should do is it would be better to own some really nice stuff, right? Own some really nice things that we can love and be proud of rather than a bunch of junk that tends to own you. That's what I'm 
trying to communicate today. Uh, having stuff's not wrong. And if you have stuff, great. I'm happy for you. But the problem is when you start having a bunch of stuff, then that hinders our relationships. It hinders our ability to bless other people. It puts us in a debt trap oftentimes. And those things have a way of mastering us. Why is this important? Why are we taking the time to talk about it on a Sunday morning? Because your calling is too great, friends. God is too good. Your life is too short for you to get entangled with a bunch of junk and to allow that to trap you and to keep you weighed down. Too many of us today are mastered by our stuff. And one of the things I've discovered is that there is only one master in this world worthy of our submission. His name is Jesus Christ. And I would invite you, if maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching uh, now or sometime in the future through a streaming uh, presentation, that if you've never invited Christ into your life, I stand before you and tell you that no amount of things can, can fill the void that, that, that Christ fills. No amount of wealth and no amount of riches can answer the question, what will happen to us when we meet death? And what will happen to us when we're on the other side of eternity? But Christ can. No amount of money can put an identification, an ID in our hearts and our lives in such a way where we say that those things bring joy and those things bring a knowledge of who we are. But Christ does and Christ can. And so I invite you right now to pray with me. And if you, if you are a person in this moment as we bow our heads and close our eyes, if you are a person saying, Tony, you know, at this moment, I, I can say that Jesus is not my master, but I want him to be. I want Jesus in my life. Then I would invite you to pray a prayer like this in this moment. Father, today I surrender my life to you asking Jesus to forgive me, to save me, and to make me new. Fill me with your spirit so I can follow you always. My life is not mine. I give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to pray a prayer like that, where you just say, Jesus, I need you. Call upon him. And if you call upon him, I'd love to hear about that. I'd love to know that you're out there and that you've made that decision so that we can help you in your walk and your journey as you continue forward as a Christ follower. Let's, let me pray as we conclude this time. Father, I do pray in this moment that your spirit would just tell if, if there's someone who's far from you, who does not know you as Lord and Savior, does not know the forgiveness that you have to offer, would you put it on their hearts, God, to call upon your son, to receive the forgiveness, to receive the grace and mercy into their lives and be a changed creature. Lord, for the rest of us in this room, would you just help us be reminded today that less is more. God, that we don't live for our stuff. We don't live to acquire stuff, but we live to, for you, God. We live for your, to share your goodness. We live to experience your grace and mercy in this world. And so, Lord, may we understand that as we live out the principle that less is more in this life. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you. 
for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.